Pray with me if you would. Lord God, we give to you our hearts and our minds right now. Pray, Lord, that if we, if we aren't in that place, if there's something of this world that's drawing our attention away from your word at this moment, Lord, that you would draw that away from our hearts and minds and you would bring our attention to what you would have us to learn and apply. Thank you, Father, for your word given to us. Thank you for your son given to us. Thank you for your spirit implanted in us that we might know you one day know you as we are known. Praise you, Lord, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 20. Go ahead and stand up for the reading of God's word. You can tell who our elders are by the guys who are walking around all black and blue from the series we've been in here. Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 17, it says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, Remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things... I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that he would not, they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Go ahead and be seated. Reading of God's word. Thank you for standing up for that. So Paul's example to the Ephesian elders began with his bond-servant attitude and, and diligence for the Lord. 
And then we moved on to how he reminds them of how he was prepared and fearless to preach and teach God's word anywhere at any moment. And last week we recalled the gospel to which he bore witness and how he was chosen by God to take that gospel across social and cultural boundaries for the glory of God and for the sake of Christ. These should be the qualities, the attitudes, the heart to be found in and exemplified by the elders of our church family. And frankly, throughout our entire church family. These words are not just for the elders. And and let me just give you a little aside here. Don't blame your elders for the things you know you should be doing and just aren't doing. We can't look at our elders and say, well, they aren't doing it, so I'm not going to either. Do what you know to do. Don't worry about what they are not doing or what they are doing. They will answer to God, right? They will stand before him as one who will have to give an account for what they've done. We need to do what we know we've been called to. The Christian life, and perhaps especially that of being an elder, is no small or light calling. It's not something to just be taken casually. As we'll see in a few verses today, our elders and our church family in Christ should be invested. We should be invested. We should be aware. And we should be determined. Invested, aware, and determined, for those of you who like to take notes. Look with me at verses 22 to 24. It says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was sold out for the gospel kingdom. He was fully invested in that call as a Christian, as an elder. He says there that I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. In verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He's invested his life in the gospel kingdom for the sake of Christ. He says, it's no longer mine to spend on what I want. I've given it over to him. There's a parable that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 13. Just one verse long. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What Jesus is getting at here is that when a wise man, when a wise person clearly recognizes a good investment, they will be willing, even joyful, to take a short-term hit in order to reap a long-term reward, a long-term gain. In this case, selling all that they have, losing everything they have, in order to gain a greater treasure that they found by buying up this field where that treasure is, right? 
have you invested in your future yet? I'm talking financially right now. It's hard, isn't it? You you see that money going out the door every month that you could be using right here and right now on things that you need or things that you want to do. But you've given those funds into somebody else's hands. They are no longer yours to do with as you want, are they? You you deal then with that short-term loss, that short-term hardship, because you know that your investment will yield a long-term greater reward won't it? You invest it, you invest a hundred bucks so that ten years from now you can get a thousand, right? Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew chapter 19, truly I say to you, in the new world when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the tribes of Israel. And everyone, that'd be you and me, who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Now, Jesus is not saying here to abandon our families. Jesus is telling us that we should invest in a greater treasure than anything on this earth could possibly give to us. He's telling us to invest in something that would give us eternal life and eternal dividends. As Christians, as elders, our life lived for Christ should be our first investment, our our highest priority. God gave us families. Are we investing them into the gospel kingdom, for into Christ for the sake of the gospel in their lives. God has given us a flock, elders. Are we doing the things that it would take to invest in them Christ and to invest them into Christ for the sake of the gospel kingdom? For the sake of Christ in their lives. God has given us all stuff, hasn't he? Are we using those things, are we we investing them into our walk with Christ, or are they taking us away from that very walk that we should be using them to grow closer to Christ, if anything? Are we investing in our walk with Christ for the sake of others, for kingdom growth? Do we have that same vision as Paul did, that same perspective that caused him to say, even while he was imprisoned, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live on in the flesh, that will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. See, Paul could rejoice, even facing death, because he was looking at death, knowing that he had fully invested his life into the gospel kingdom, into Christ. He had fully invested himself into eternal life. 
He had given himself completely to the gospel call in Christ Jesus. Are we there? Do we have those Christ-centered glasses on through which we, we view everything in life according to his word? Do we understand how valuable our relationship with God is through his son, Jesus Christ? The eternal value of that relationship. Randy Alcorn wrote a book in which he talks about something he calls the treasure principle. After clarifying that we can't take the things of this earth with us when we die, he says, Jesus takes that profound truth you can't take it with you, and adds a stunning qualification. By telling us to store up treasures for ourselves in heaven, he gives us a remarkable corollary. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Anything we try to hang on to here will be lost, but anything we put into God's hands will be ours for eternity. If we invest in the eternal instead of the temporal, we store up treasures in heaven that will never stop paying dividends. Whatever treasures we store up on earth will be left behind when we leave. Whatever treasures we store up in heaven will be waiting for us when we arrive. As Jesus himself tells us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are you investing your life in? The eternal or the temporal? Where are our hearts? Because that's where our treasure will be, right? Do they belong to the one who died on our behalf, in our place? See, when our hearts belong to somebody, we listen to them, don't we? When you first started dating, do you remember those days? For some of us, it was a long, long time ago. You wait for that phone to ring, don't you? And if, if somebody else called and you answered it and, you, and it wasn't her, you were grumpy with them, why did you call me? I'm waiting for an important call, right? You stay up till 2 in the morning when she finally calls and you talk, right? You're just talking. You love hearing her voice. You want to know her dreams or aspirations. You, you try to figure out what you can surprise her with for her birthday. You listen to every word. You're always aware. Always listening, always attentive. What does she need? What does she want? What will make her happy? Paul's heart belonged to God. And because of that, Paul was always aware he strove to do what would please God. And to do that, he needed to listen. He needed to know, what is it that God wants? Verse 22. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Paul was constrained by the Spirit. He knew what God wanted because he was listening to the Spirit of God. 
And because of his relationship with God, he was compelled, he was bound to act upon what he then knew. He just had to do it. That's what it's like when you love somebody, isn't it? You'll move mountains to care for them, to please them. We feel compelled to do it. And it's not because we don't have a choice in the matter, but because that person means so much to us, I'm going to do anything to take care of them. Where are our hearts? Do they belong to the one who created us, who knit us together in our mother's wombs? The one who then saved us from our own sinful condition at the cross. How do we become aware of what God wants? Well, frankly, it's that old, simple old answer that's easy to forget or allow to become cliche in our minds. We need to read, we need to pray, and we need to fellowship. Read, pray, and fellowship. Read. When you do it, read God's word, and when you do it, don't just do it by rote. Don't, don't just read because, oh, i got to get this done with. But do it with a fresh listening ear every time God is talking to us through his word. He wants us to know things about himself through it. Ask questions of the text. What does this tell me about God? What does this text that I'm reading, what does this chapter that I'm reading today tell me about man? What does this tell me about myself? What does it say, and how does it apply to my life? Whatever you do, don't ask, what does this mean to me? That's a dirty question. Self-interpretation, reading yourself into the text is always a bad idea. Let me make that very clear. When have you ever written a letter to somebody so that they could self-interpret it? Dear Mabel, I went to the bank today and I made a deposit. Well, I can think of a lot of ways to interpret that. Some of them aren't aren't very preachable. But what did they probably mean? It means what it says, right? They went to the bank. They made a deposit. They took money to the bank and made a deposit. It's pretty clear, pretty simple. And that's the same thing with God's word. Read it for what it says, not for what we want it to say. Ask questions of the text, but make sure we're asking it what God has meant for us to get out of it, not what we think we're going to get out of it. God has given us letters to tell us about himself, his character, his nature, even his desires. Did you know that God owns absolutely everything in all creation, the sheep on a thousand hills? And yet there are still things that God desires. There are still things that God wants. Do you know what those things are? Do you know what God desires? He tells you in his word. Read it. Study it. Get to know him from his word. Spend time with him there in that place. Pray. How many people, how many people do you love that you never talk to? Never have talked to? have no interest in talking to? Probably none, right? We talk to the people we love. When you pray, talk to God. Meditate on his word. Talk to him about something that you've read in his word. 
Seek his spirit's guidance in the proper application of his word. Ask for wisdom, and God says in his word that he'll give it to us. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. He won't be mad at you for asking him, for saying, God, I don't know what's going on. I, I'm just at a loss here. I need your wisdom. He'll be right there with you. It'll be given to you. Ask him to be a part of your plans and, and arrange your plans around what you know about him. Interact with God. Remember that we worship the living God, not a dead God. He's not a piece of wood. He is not a piece of metal. He is not a rock. He is alive. He is spirit. The living God who wants to be a part of our lives but won't force us to be so. Read, pray, and remember that sometimes our living God will also choose to speak to us through those who know his word, through other believers who know him and love him, who share a relationship with him. Keep yourselves in fellowship. Read, pray, and keep yourself in fellowship with those who love God. Not just those who know about him, but those who love him, those who desire to be aware of his leading. Are we so close to God? So aware of his presence in our lives, so aware of his desires and goals. Are we so passionate in our understanding of who he is and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ that we want nothing more in our lives than to obey the one who saved us? To walk in his ways. Are we bound, compelled, constrained by the Spirit as Paul was? Because we love him so much, we just will move mountains to do what he's asked of us. Are we waiting for that phone to ring? Are we just, I can't wait to talk to him. Can't wait to share time with him. Paul's heart belonged to the Lord. And because of that, he was very aware of his upward call in Jesus Christ. But he wasn't casually aware, like, thanks, man. It's good to know you. Right? He, he was determined to walk in it. No matter what it might mean to him personally. Just look at verse 22, 23 again. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value. Now look at verse 16. A long time ago, when we first started the series, I brought up verse 16 and how significant it is. All these awful things are waiting for Paul, right? Paul knew it going in, didn't he? In verse 16, we read, Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem. If possible, on the day of Pentecost, he wanted to get there. He was invested in the gospel kingdom. He was aware of the will of God and, and his call upon Paul's life. And Paul was determined to live it out. In view of what God has been told by the Spirit of God here, of what awaited him, verse 16 is just shocking, isn't it? He's driven to get into the thick of it. 
Paul wanted to be where the trouble was at just the right time so that he could be as effective for the gospel as possible. Maybe I can get there on the day of Pentecost when everybody's there, and if they start arresting me, I'm going to get to speak publicly. This is going to be awesome. He had this funny way of looking at adversity through the eyes of God. Paul recognized the hand of God at work through his trials in Philippians. When he was in jail, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, going to jail, has really served to advance the gospel. Praise God. I'm all locked up. This is awesome. Philippians 1.18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. As elders, as Christians, we should all look at our circumstances in such a way determined to meet life head-on in order to be as effective for the gospel as possible. Verse 24, But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel. This isn't a trial. It's a gospel opportunity. We have two ways we can look at everything that God allows in our lives. It's, it's woe is me, or praise be to the Lord God Almighty who's giving me a chance to shine for the gospel kingdom right here, right now, where I am. If the hardship or loss makes us more effective for the gospel kingdom, are we prepared not just to accept it, but to embrace it? Remember that whatever we invest in the kingdom now will bring eternal dividends, won't it? That's a promise of our Savior. That same Savior who rose from the dead. That's quite a promise. That's quite a seal of promise, isn't it? We are sealed by the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit living inside of us. If Jesus says we're going to get eternal dividends for anything we give to him in this life, you're going to get eternal dividends for anything you give him in this life. I guarantee it. Because it's not my guarantee. It's his. To live this way, we actually don't lose anything anything do we have christ-centered gospel kingdom oriented lives lives that are fully invested in our acts chapter 1 verse 8 call lives that are aware of god's desires and his interests are we determined then to live it and, and considering that jesus christ died for us just as much as he died for paul let's Strive not to be content with where we are in our Christian walk, but instead to grow in our love for God and our commitment to our own upward call in his name. You know, as a church, we can make all the programmatic changes. We can alter our facilities. We can be hip and modern and new. We could take all the surveys we want and ask people, what is it that you like or dislike about our church to determine what we should do? But that's all surface. Some of it will be good to do as times and culture change around us, but it's all worthless if we aren't invested, aware and determined to be an Acts chapter 1 verse 8 family. What is Acts chapter 1 verse 8? We are called to bear witness to the person and works of Jesus Christ here in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. 
share the gospel in our soil, our sphere of influence lives. Let's be determined to reach beyond ourselves. Aware of the Spirit's movement, look out there, see somebody new, grab them. They could be your family in Christ. Let's invest in one anothering for the sake of Christ and the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, change our hearts. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would work a great thing in us, that we would be different, that we would be different from the world around us, that we would be uh, a church that just is exploding with your spirit's power and love as we love on each other, as we love those who come through the doors, as we are determined to live out that call, that gospel call to, to share the truth of Jesus to love our neighbors as ourselves, Lord, would you please make us an example of that to the world? That as people walk in here, they would see something different. They would feel something different. They would know something is different, and that would be not us, not our glory, not our doing, but your work in us, your work through us. Lord, we pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.